This is Oliver Marty, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Omel are showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer fires to score. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside wrap. Oh, scores! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Adam Moore and Hutton Jackson. Welcome to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk, guys. We have a jam-packed episode for you today. We are talking all three professional lacrosse leagues for the first time in a long time as well, too. Going to have your PLL draft coverage, uh, talk a little bit about this upcoming college draft, going to talk about the tour stops that were just recently announced. We also have a location for the Athletes Unlimited League that's going to happen for five weeks during the summer. And then we have a little bit of NLL too with the Albany Firewolves, the newest team um, added. They just revealed their new name and logo. Um, and we have some thoughts on that. So Adam, first off, how are you doing today? And what are your thoughts on this week of jam-packed pro lacrosse news? Yeah, you know, it's kind of was the calm before the storm for a while there. We, we've been waiting for, for some news. Obviously, we had kind of a, a little bit with the entry draft for the PLL a little bit ago, but lacrosse is in full swing, man. So excited to get going and, and talking about these tour stops and, and all the awesome news in the PLL, the AU, and uh, with the NLL. Excited to get started. Yeah, we're just six weeks away from professional lacrosse, live professional lacrosse. We are super amped. I mean, the, the college draft really snuck up on us. Despite yeah. them pushing it back, it still feels like it snuck up on us. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk that in depth um, in terms of, you know, team needs. And we're going to have a little conversation around, you know, who should go number one overall. Um, we're also going to talk about the tour stops as well. But I think the, the biggest news we want to hit on first off is the NLL name announcement of the Albany Firewolves. Now, you know, I wasn't too shy about saying I, I wasn't a fan of the Firewolves, but man, that logo that they revealed, uh, I, I might start to become a believer a little bit because that was a, a pretty sweet logo that they unveiled and I was not what I expected. But what were your thoughts on the unveiling of the Firewolves? Yeah, you know, after kind of hearing uh, Firewolves owner uh, Oliver Marty discuss kind of the options they went through a, as a team to, to get to this name, uh, I, it, it's grown on me for sure. I, I really like the logo, as you said, really think it's cool that they they added the AFW uh, in the logo. Um, I think that crest is going to look phenomenal on uh, a jersey. I can't wait to see the variations uh, of jerseys. Yeah, and I, I hope they don't dial it back. I hope they're going to kind of go a flames look, you know, kind of like yeah. the Blaze did in the early iterations. Like, don't be afraid to, like, go crazy. You know, you, you have a lot of these jerseys in the NLL that, um, you know, push the boundaries a little bit. You know, the Roughnecks have the oil rig on the side of their jerseys. You know, Riptide, they kind of have – the, the waves on pattern on their jerseys swarm the honeycomb pattern, you know, so these NLO jerseys tend to be, you know, a little bit more pushing the boundaries. And I hope that's what we see from the firewolves. Like, you know, give me a little bit of a Boston blazers feel to these jerseys, um, you know, from the early 2000, 2009, I think was when they came around again. So give me that kind of for the jerseys. Um, again, yeah, I agree with the logo. I think it's going to look sweet if they, you know, have a big wolf head on the front of their jerseys. I, I think it'll look great. Um, again, still going to take a little while for me to warm up to the name, but no pun intended. But, um, you know, that's just probably because I was so attached to attack. But, um, you know, again, the wolf is right there, front and center. Like Oliver said, like, you know, it has ties to the Black Wolves and the Albany attack. Um, they really wanted to, to pay homage to both those teams that came before them. So, um, you know, there's a lot of thought that went into it. And 
Um, you know, again, that, that wolf head is, is menacing. So mm-hmm. I'm glad they went all out. I'm glad it's not, you know, cartoony at all. It is like, it's fierce. And I think this team's going to be fierce on the floor too, because as we remember, we're two years r- removed now from, you know, when they were last on the floor, but they, uh, they were the top team in the NLL. Obviously Ka- Callum Crawford left in free agency to go to the riptide, but this team's going to be uh, pretty formidable on the floor. So definitely excited to see um, them take the floor in December. Now let's move on to another league that's going to be its first iteration this summer, and that's Athletes Unlimited League, the Women's Lacrosse League. Uh, they're going to be playing at Maureen Hendricks Field in Boyds, Maryland, the D.C. metro area, for five weeks. Um, we kind of had heard rumblings that it was going to be Maryland, and you know that was confirmed last week. Um, and we're definitely excited to, to see this league kind of come to fruition. And I think something that's interesting, too, is we're still waiting to hear like all the players that are signed yeah. up. But there's some room, too, for some current college players to come in and play this summer as well. So I think that's really, really exciting. You know, are we going to see Charlotte North play this summer? Um, I don't know if she's going to use her fifth year option next year, but I mean, if she's out there, that's going to bring eyeballs immediately on the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a little bit different uh, from the, the talk we'll talk about from a, a college draft side of things, right? Because of the makeup of the AU, it's going to be new teams every week. So you could have, uh, instead of just having one draft, obviously like the, the PLL and NLL have, we're going to have drafts to talk about every week with the AU. So that's going to be a really excited uh, variation uh, to the sport. It's going to bring a lot of eyes, hopefully, uh, to an awesome game. Yeah, no, and that's why I'm interested to see how these players are signed on. You know, I'm sure they'll just sign with the league, but, you know, there's going to be limited spots for uh, a lot of top talent coming out of this women's uh, college season as well. So definitely excited to see that iteration um, you know, excited what's coming next for, for the future of women's lacrosse. And I think this different model will hopefully get more eyeballs on the sport and allow it to really grow and take it to the next, next level. So it's going to yeah. be different than what we're used to, but it's definitely going to be fun again, you know, having a draft every week and seeing the combinations of all-star players on a certain team each week is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And as of, uh, as of now, there are 38, uh, roster spots taken up in the AU 56 is, is going to be that total. So 18 spots up for grabs right now uh, when it comes to the, those AU spots. So as you mentioned, uh, some some players still yet to sign that were playing for the WPLL last year. In addition uh, to the players coming from the college ranks, it's going to be really awesome to see them uh, play in the D.C. metro area this summer. We're going to have two leagues holding championships in the D.C. area this summer. No, it's going to be fun. I, I thought that was like the, the, my favorite thing is the fact that the D.C. area is not only getting the AU League, but we're also getting the championship for the Premier Lacrosse League as well. Now, I, I am a, a native of Northern Virginia right outside D.C., so D.C. sports, Baltimore sports fan. Um, seeing them choose Audi Field as the location for the championship really excited me. And, you know, we still get to Philadelphia along the way, Adam, too, in the semifinals. So um, I know we're planning on both being at the semifinals and the championship um, for the PLL, but let's dive into this tour stop uh, schedule that they released last week as well. They're starting off in Gillette at Gillette Field in Foxborough. Kind of uh, thought that was going to be the plan. What we're hearing is that training camp's going to be actually at Gillette as well the week prior leading up to it. That way they can have everyone quarantine, get there, um, you know, kind of bubble them. You know, again, I think with things opening up, there's going to be obviously they're doing a tour model. So there's going to be a little bit less restrictions than they had to with uh, Utah, but um, they're still, you know, having those safety protocols and that'll allow them to have that opening weekend in Foxborough. But let, let's go through these tour stops. You got Foxborough week one, then they go down to Georgia week two, Homewood Field, you know, your backyard, Adam, in Baltimore yep. week three, Short Stadium, which is, you know, was home to the Lizards for a long time on Long Island. 
Then they're going to Minneapolis, you know, with our friends where our friends Epic are located. So that that's pretty cool for us. Um, PayPal Park in San Jose is, is the all-star game. We've had a lot of people talk about how they really like the San Jose venue, which, you know, was something I didn't really realize until we started talking to a lot of these players about, you know, how great it was um, when they were stopped there in week in year one. Uh, Widener Field in Colorado Springs, that's a, a soccer stadium. So not Denver this year, but still going out to Colorado where there's a big lacrosse population, which is great. Albany is going to show out for sure uh, when they come to town at the Tom and Mary Casey Stadium again. And then that's the final weekend of the regular season, which leads us into quarterfinals in Utah, Salt Lake City, semifinals in Philadelphia, and then the District of Champions, Washington, <laughs> D.C. for the championship. So very, very exciting. And I, something interesting to note is there's actually a two-week gap between the quarterfinals and the semifinals. So the teams that are making that those semifinal matchups are going to have a little bit of time for preparation. They're going to have a lot of more time, too, from a media side to kind of hype up the semifinals and the championship, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're going to kind of get it uh, a few breaks in this season, but we're getting up to five games in a weekend, Adam, which is not, I don't think what we were really expecting. We thought maybe the maximum four, but we thought there might be some buys. It's going to be off to the races and yeah. there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs for some teams. You know, it doesn't look like any team has to play uh, a game after, you know, back-to-back days, but they're playing Friday night. They might be playing Sunday night as well, which is not a lot of time to prepare for another team. So Adam, you know, what do you think of this touring schedule? You know, any favorite stops and uh, what matchups are you looking forward to the most coming up? Yeah. You know, anytime you can get home to Philly is always exciting, especially uh, for kind of what the stakes are going to be at the end of the season in the semis uh, to, to make a, a trip to the championship is always a good one. And Homewood, Everyone loves playing at home, so that's also an awesome venue. But kind of from a matchups perspective, I'm really excited, uh, at least for week one, uh, once they go to Gillette, to see these water dogs uh, and, and the Cannons play. You know, last year's expansion franchise, this year's expansion franchise. The water dogs didn't get a lot of time to gel, uh, and we kind of saw that uh, maybe be one of the crux of their issues in the bubble last year. Um, but they had an off season. They're going to have some time in training camp, and I'm excited to see uh, those two teams go at it, considering how many new parts both squads have. Yeah, and it's theoretically a home game for the Cannons. You know, obviously they're not location-based anymore, but their ties are very strong to the Boston area, both player-wise and, you know, franchise-wise. So, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be an interesting one. Um, Some of these matchups, too, you know, not particularly maybe cities-wise, but – just based on the personnel, like I'm really looking forward to see Rob Pinnell facing his old team in the Atlas. Obviously it will be fun to see the Atlas play the cannons as well. You know, Paul Rabel facing his old team, um, Brent Adams facing the team that picked him up in expansion and then traded him away. You know, so Brent Adams has a little bit of revenge, I think, you know, facing a lot of different teams this year. Um, so those are some matchups. I mean, and then the chaos versus the archers in, uh, in Albany is going to be fun because Connor Fields is now going to be on a different team, um, returning to Albany. So that game is going to, you know, definitely be probably the one that all the great Dane fans are, are marking on their calendars. Um, and then, you know, the whip snakes going up against the cannons is another one too. That's going to be really interesting in week two, because they're theoretically the defending champs on um, both those teams. Obviously the whip snakes won it yeah. in the PLL last year, but you know, the cannons, I think still consider themselves defending champs as well with the, the people on their roster and the fact that they won it in the MLL last year. So um, those are some of the matchups I'm looking forward to. Obviously, yeah. it'll be fun to see how the season goes, but um, I don't know. Any other matchups for you, Adam? Yeah, yeah. one in particular, you know, we, we have to wait till week five, but to see uh, the, the arguably the biggest rivalry, rivalry right now in the league is Woods 
whips, right? And we have to wait mm-hmm. until week five uh, when they're in Minnesota to, to get that matchup. So that's one, obviously, that always uh, is marked on my calendar as well. You know, and as I alluded to, um, something that's kind of interesting is the fact that some teams are going to have a lot of back-to-backs. So we had actually uh, one of our listeners throw out a tweet and tag me in it. Um, and he looked at, you know, the back-to-backs that teams have to face when they have a doubleheader weekend. And so um, that pretty much determining which what the, is most favorable for a lot of these teams. And the Chrome are playing people on a back-to-back four times this season. The next closest is the Cannons and Archers, too. And then you have Chaos are only playing a team coming on their second game of the weekend once, Atlas only once, Wardogs once, Whipsinks once, yeah. and Redwoods zero times. So Redwoods, the schedule didn't do the Redwoods any favors. They're not playing any teams on short rest, um, you know, where they'll actually have some short rest weekends themselves. All teams will. But, um, you know, the Chrome are really going to probably benefit from having to face a team that had already played a game on a Friday. Uh, it looks like, you know, four times this season. And obviously scheduling is, is tough when you're dealing with three days in a weekend. Um, so, you know, obviously that not really, it wasn't anything purposeful, but um, Chrome benefit a little bit from that. So shout out to Matthew Amato who, who discovered that little uh, tidbit on the scheduling um, and for him doing that research, but yeah, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. You know, obviously these are our matchups we're looking forward to just on paper right now. That's going to change by week two or three, depending on where teams are at in the standings. It's going to be interesting to follow kind of the standings too, yeah. because teams are going to have played more games than others throughout the season it won't be till the very end that um team so you might have a team that has a double header towards the end of the the regular season that's going to need to win both those games or, or maybe is waiting to see what another team does so gonna be a lot of uh playoff races facing and we're not sure if all teams are going to make the playoffs or not um we're, we're still waiting on those details I, I think it might be maybe a team's everyone makes it but two teams get a buy is what it looks like with the three playoff matchups um that opening weekend that would probably make the most sense to have you know, six teams play each other with the other two getting a bye, but we'll definitely see, have to wait and see how that works out. Um, you know, maybe, you know, you still have two teams that are at the bottom playing for a draft pick where the other two teams are playing in um, and you give the top two seeds a bye. I think that's probably how it's going to shake out because you got three games in the quarters, two games in the semis still, one in the championship, obviously. So I think that's probably how it's going to shake out. But again, that's all speculation at this point. We'll find out soon enough. But that wraps up our discussion of the tour schedule. We have something bigger coming up very more imminently and that is the college draft in a week so we're going to take a quick break hear a word from our sponsor do cannon and then we'll dive into that discussion when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that's made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army Reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducanon, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. 
Welcome back, everyone. Now it's time to dive into the PLO College Draft discussion. We have a lot to talk about. I think the biggest is, you know, who goes number one overall. For a while, I think Michael Sowers seemed to be a lock, but that's starting to be a little bit less clear and clear. Um, you know, not based on Sowers. I think he's still playing well at Duke, um, but I think based on these teams' makeup. Uh, but we're going to go through each team's needs. But let's first start about this discussion. You know, Paul Clark put out his, his big board um, and his, his top three potential number one picks and he had Michael Sowers, Jared Bernhardt and Jeff Teat. Now Jeff Teat hasn't played this year because Cornell was not able to play. Uh, Michael Sowers is on Duke. And while he's been playing well, um, I think, you know, against the ACC competition, he probably isn't having as good a year as he did when he was at Princeton last year um, to start and, and, and during his career. And then you got Jared Bernhardt, who's really lighting it up for Maryland, but you know, he's a little bit of a, a different, he's more of a attack mini hybrid um, so, you know, a team that may need a, a Teat or Sowers may not necessarily go after Bernhardt and vice versa. A team that's going after Bernhardt might not need the other two. So um, regardless, all three of these, I think we can safely say are generational talents. They're going to make an impact in the PLL. But if you're the number, if you have the number one pick, not necessarily saying you're Coach Rubio with the Atlas, but let's say like, you know, clean slate. Your team, it doesn't matter what your team makeup is. If you're picking one guy to go number one, Adam, who, who are you picking? No, it, it's tough. They're all generational talents, as you mentioned. But I think you mentioned him. He hasn't played this year. He's going to be very ready to go once the PLL kicks off this summer. And I'm going to go with Jeff T. Um, he's super versatile. You know, Michael Sowers can play and destroy people's ankles at X. Uh, Jared Bernhardt, as you said, is a super versatile guy. But I really uh, think T uh, is the guy I'd go with. You know, if he does go number one, he'd be the second player uh, in the last couple of years to, to get drafted in number one in two different leagues since Lyle Thompson uh, in 2015, only third player uh, in pro lacrosse league history to go 1-1 in both drafts. Uh, he's just a phenomenal talent. He's going to be ready. He's going to have the uh, rest he needs. And I think he's a phenomenal pick, especially, uh, I know you said not necessarily uh, taking that selection as Coach Rubior, but I think he'd be a phenomenal fit uh, in particularly for that Atlas squad. Yeah, no, you mentioned you put him in good camp. You had uh, Lyle Thompson, who was drafted by the launch in the Swarm first overall. And then you had Kevin Crowley by the Hamilton Nationals and the Philadelphia Wings. Uh, original Philadelphia Wings, who are now the Albany Firewolves, when we had um, after you know a few moves. But yeah, no, very interesting. That's some good company that Teat would be in if he is uh, drafted number one overall. I agree. I think Teat's the most complete player, um, you know, probably available in this draft on the offensive end. Uh, you know, again, it's interesting, though, because the Atlas do have Mark Cockerton and Chris Cloutier. Now, again, if you ask me who's the best of those three, I'm going with Jeff Teat. Uh, especially, you know, he's a little bit younger than both those guys, uh, or particularly Cockton, you know, Cloutier is not too far removed from a championship win uh, with UNC. But, you know, uh, again, I think you make room for Teat, right? Um, and I think they really like Eric Law behind, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Sowers would be that guy at X, and I think he would, but you got to look at what the Atlas have done in the past, and it's not necessarily like to say that's what they're going to do this year, but they like to invert a lot with John Crawley, uh, Joel Tenney, Obviously, you got Eric Law, who's, you know, can play from X, but also is, you know, a crease presence as well. Um, and then, you know, they picked up Dan Bacaro in this entry draft. So, yeah, they have a lot of pieces there. Um, that's why it's like, you know, on paper, I don't know if Sowers or Teat is ne- definitely like the, the like perfect fit on the Atlas on, you know, for, for 
both of those guys, but they're also way too good to like pass up on both of them as well. So it's going to be one or the other, I, I think. Um, but I'm going to lean towards Teed as well. I also think Jared Bernhardt could be a good guy for this Atlas team as well. You know, if you run them from the midfield, um, you, you know, they still have the guys that they want at, at, on offense. Brendan Sunday can play attack. Again, we already mentioned Dan Baccaro. So I'm leaning towards Teet. Um, wouldn't shock me if it was Sowers too. I just, I'm not in the camp that, you know, it's Sowers or Bust at number one. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you look past the Atlas to number two pick with the Water Dogs, I think that's, Sowers is a much better fit on the water dogs because I think coach Copeland wants, you know, that more traditional X run offense where you have Sowers from behind and then he can feed, you know, Ryan Brown and Kieran McCardle. Like those guys are, are, are righty and lefty sh- shooters. You know, they can play in a variety of different ways. They can, you know, find space, you know, f- off of picks, they can still dodge too, but those guys are shooters and, you know, you got a feeder and Sowers. Those are much clearly defined roles. And that was something that the water dogs were lacking last year is there wasn't a defined role for a lot of these attackmen so I think you know they they cleared it out a little bit um added the piece in Ryan Brown and I think Sowers would fit in much better on the water dogs than necessarily the Atlas but again we're talking about Michael Sowers and Jeff Teed here you can find space on any team on this roster for them um arguably so um that's kind of where we we felt the number one discussion right now we both are feeling Teet. yeah and you know it's really interesting to kind of contemplate these top three guys because Two of them are playing and one's not. It's not really necessarily what have you done for me lately when it comes to uh, talking about Jeff Teat. Um, we're going off of uh, his phenomenal career at Cornell up to this point and not necessarily this season. So, um, But the projectables are there for him. I think he's going to uh, – his style of play really suits what the PLL uh, is going towards. And uh, we both have him at number one. I could see him dropping uh, to two potentially, but I, I think he does go to the Atlas. And wouldn't it be nice for Michael Sowers, Philly – area native to go to a team and I want to hear more people call him the water dog so um, <laughs> it would only make sense that that he heads to to coach Copeland squad yeah and uh, we know with Michael Sowers too which I think is interesting is it's like you know we've seen a lot of uh, we haven't seen any of Teat this spring which you know kind of makes him not as top of mind but then Sowers is kind of the opposite effect like he's going to a, a crowded Duke team that has a lot of talent on that team whereas when he was at Princeton he was the guy and he had to be the guy. And now he's kind of taken, you know, less of a star role, not because he's not still a star caliber player, but he's had to do less, you know, on this Duke offense. Um, And he's still performing at a high level. So it's not to say that he's not, you know, performing at a high level, but I think that's why, you know, his draft stock is maybe fluctuating a little bit, whereas he was the consensus number one for a while now, it's kind of like, well, you know, let's, you know, slow our roll a little bit. There's still a lot of talent out there. So again, I, I, I'd be shocked if, you know, Sowers falls any lower than two or three. Um, but I also don't think it's a, he's a lock necessarily for number one. Yeah, you can't go wrong with any of them. And like we'll talk about in just a couple seconds here, there are so many players that I would love to have on, on my squad if I'm one of the eight PLL coaches. Yeah, and my, you know, my offensive bias is definitely showing, but there's some talented defenders and LSMs yeah, uh, in this class that, you know, also could be top, top five pick as well. So let's go into each team's need. We know we talked about the Alice a little bit. I think their biggest needs are another playmaker at, you know, particularly I think at the midfield or attack. Um, but you know, you, you got Dan Beccaro, who's, you know, only a year off of a, a rookie of the year season and two years removed from lightening up at Georgetown. Um, you know, they have Brian Costabile, who's a two-way threat They had Brent Adams via trade. You know, I, I'm really high on Mark, my, I'm really high on Mark Cockerton as well. You know, so they have a lot of talent. I mean, so it really, whoever they add, it's just, you know, adding to another 
wealth of talent that they have. But I think that's where they go maybe in uh, the, the first round. But I could also see them adding a D midi. Remember, they got two picks in this first round, number one and number eight. Um, and if I'm, I'm the Atlas and I'm looking, you know, I, maybe I fill that hole on the offensive side, I'd consider maybe looking at a Ryan Tarafanko or Peter Durth, who is, you know, really locked down short stick defensive middies. Tarafanko can also push it on the offensive end, probably a little bit more than Peter Durth can. Um, so I think you want, you'll look for one of those guys to, to maybe get drafted at eighth. Um, you know, I, I think that's where another hole they have, you, you know, it'd be awesome for them to have another guy that's really their go-to short stick defensive midi. Obviously they have Jake Richard, um, but I, I think they could stand to reason to add another guy that could, um, you know, help them out on the defensive midi side of things. Um, so th- those are where we see their needs going a little bit. Um, obviously they have a lot of picks in this draft. They have the most, so they're going to be able to make, you know, a lot of moves and take some players to camp and kind of figure it out um, there. But, you know, also it means a clean slate. There's a little less chemistry there that they're going to have to work out before the season. Now, moving on to the archers, the archers are an interesting spot. This yeah. kind of leads us to the number four, number five discussion, because right now you have the Redwoods at number four and the archers at number five, both those teams. I think we would both agree are a dominant face-off guy away from being a contender. They're probably already contenders as is, but a face-off guy would cement them yeah. as one of the contenders of the PLL this season. Um, and the archers right now, I don't think they can get TD without trading up. You know, the Redwoods are going to take the best face-off guy available. And I think they have their eyes set on TD Erland. Now the Chrome are sitting there at three, pretty content with where they're at. I think in all position groups, I think they would stand to, to reason to maybe draft another defender. I, I'm kind of leaning towards a JT Jaw Harris. Maybe they draft Jared Bernhardt, bring him on with his brother, Jesse Bernhardt. You know, they, they have a lot of options, but if I'm coach Sudan, I'm probably fielding some, uh, some questions from the archers and the redwoods. You know, I think I'm having some open dialogue with Nat St. Laurent and Chris Bates, because if I'm not St. Laurent, I think TD falls to me at four, unless the archers find a way to jump me. So maybe, you know, you're not that comfortable at four and you try to trade up. And we've already talked to coach Nat St. Laurent. He has been making some moves in the draft front with the possibility of, trading some more draft capital to get a guy that he wants. Now we don't know who that guy is. I think we can both assume it's TD, but you know, he made that Andrew Q trade to add another draft pick. I think he intends to move up in this draft. I think he's looking to make a deal with the Chrome and maybe it's just a flip-flop of let me pick at three. I'll let you pick at four and give you another draft pick. And maybe that's all it needs for the Chrome. And they're like, sure, we'll take another draft pick get another player and still get our guy that we want. Cause I think, you know, they're leaning towards maybe, JT Jal Harris. I don't think they're going to take a face-off guy is essentially what I'm saying. You yeah. know, maybe they'll get lucky and be able to take a, a guy that drops, you know, if it's not teeter sours at one and two. Yeah, no. And another thing to know when it, when it comes to a potential trade with the woods, they don't have a second round pick right now. Right. So mm-hmm. um, they don't pick until the last pick of the third round after uh, number four. So um, it could be a, a future first or, or something to, to make that jump, right? Where it'll be interesting. We're still in that early stage where the dynamics of a, uh, and we talked about this in previous pods, the value of draft picks and, and how um, cap, draft capital is utilized in a number of situations. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, if there is a bidding war uh, for Coach Sudan for that third pick. Yeah, because if you're the Archers at 15, you know, maybe you're comfortable with a Gerard Arceri or, uh, you know, a Kyle Gallagher. Um, but you know, there's still, they're still not TD, you know, I I think TD has proven, you know, right off the gate, even with Denver, you know, only losing one face off out of, you know, his first 25 as a pioneer, 
Um, you know, he, he's going to be that dominant. I think at the PLL level, uh, there's definitely going to be some stiff competition, you know, um, between Trevor Baptiste and, uh, Joe Nardella. Um, so it's definitely not going to be, and you know, Max Adler too. So it's definitely the face-off game is going to be again, wide open this year, I think once again, but, um, as for TD, I think he cemented himself as the top face-off guy. He went number one overall in the MLL draft last year for a reason. Um, and I think, you know, if the archers have their eyes on TD, they're going to have to, you know, make some moves to get there. Um, and, you know, maybe that's given up some picks that they have. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to have to see what the, the Redwoods do. I think, you know, I think Nat is being smart though, about not feeling comfortable at four, because, you know, if you look at how it shakes out, they theoretically should get TD at number four, but you can never, you know, not be looking at the, the other teams across the way, you know, that are potentially trying to jump you and take the player that you want. So definitely interesting there but yeah as we said archers i think face off you know two-way midi i think they could you know stand to, to benefit from too they have a lot of great offensive guys but they could use a guy that can play both ways like a docs aiken um so you know and maybe you know tarafenko is another guy that they kind of look at too but um you know they they do have some really solid guys on the defensive end and really solid guys on the offensive end so that's why i think you look for a little bit more versatility at the midfield um if they're not getting their face off guy in that first round Moving on to the Cannons, their team that I think could also benefit from maybe adding a few more defenders, um, maybe a midi as well. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are really high on Jared Connors, but when it comes to the draft conversation, it kind of gets, again, leans towards the offensive end. He could go top five, yep, you know? So um, I don't know if Jared Connors falls to the Cannons where they're at, um, but he's another one at nine, you know, I, I doubt it. I think he's going in the first round, but I think they, they will have luckily a chance to maybe get a defender. If it's not Jared Connors or JT Giles Harris, then maybe a Jack Hilty, you know? Um, so they, they obviously have a good group of defense from that expansion draft and yeah. from that entry draft and even the waiver wire. But um, you know, they're, they're kind of in wait and see mode because they have eight picks before them before they can actually pick up a, a player. But you know, on the midfield side of things too, I think they would stand to reason if they could get a, a, a deep threat. Um, you know, maybe they get a Connor Kirst or a Mac O'Keefe, you know, that can shoot the two-pointer two because right now that's very important in the PLL and they have Paul Rabel who can and shoot from range and also, uh, you know, Connor Busick who's probably behind Mike Chanichuk, one of the best um, from two-point range. So they, they have some some availability there, but, um, you know, they're pretty set. What do you think about the cannons, Adam? Heck, you mentioned docs already a little bit there. I think he'd be an awesome addition to that cannon squad. Um, it just the crux of, it, we've only talked about a few teams and the names that we've been rambling off. They'd be all fantastic fits for, for a number of reasons, but it'll, it'll be interesting, uh, to see on draft night, how, um, these coaches really go about, um, making their selections in terms of best available fit um, or best available player. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the whips later, right? Uh, uh, but in terms of best player available, but um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, but I, I would love to see Docs and Cannon's uniform starting next year. Yeah. And I think they use the entry draft to kind of fill the needs and now it's going to be kind of best player available because there's so much talent in this college draft, yep. but then it's hard for us to predict because, we're also looking at their rosters and saying, well, these are their needs, you know, but really, if you look at all the rosters, there's really not a team that has like super strong needs other than maybe the, the two that need the face off. And, you know, I think the water dogs again could stand or use another playmaker, but you know, a, a lot of these teams are pretty set already after just going through the entry draft now. 
that's not to say that these college players aren't going to be able to take spots from current pros. I think they will. So that's why it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, we're, we're talking about needs right here, but it probably is going to flow more best player available as we go throughout the night. Yeah. And, and that just makes why I'm so excited to see footage from training camp for battles for a roster position. I know I'm thinking ahead already, but uh, training camp is going to be a really intense scene for a lot of players trying to hold on to spots or make rosters for the first time or or later in their career yeah it's going to be really competitive and you know who knows like we have a full season ahead of us there could be guys that you know somehow missed the cut on a training camp at training camp and then you know later in the season there's moves made they get brought up or whatever we saw that happen a lot in the you know 2019 season so that's also a possibility um and with this wealth of talent in the player pool you know, as we mentioned on the previous pods, like a couple of guys that are still waiting, you know, to get picked off of waivers, like there's going to be some opportunities um, later in the season for guys that, you know, probably deserve to be playing in the pros, but maybe not don't make a roster necessarily. So we'll definitely see. Uh, let's move on to the chaos. Um, I, again, I still think they need some, some defensive help, um, you know, whether it's on the defense or LSM, you know, I, again, they have that Troy Ray back, which I think was big at LSM, but Matt Reese, we don't know if his availability is going to be every weekend. Hopefully it will be for them. Um, he was able to play a lot in the 2019 and um, 2020 season as well, but I think they could use some more defenders. I really do. And I think, you know, if JT Giles Harris or Jared Connors is available for them at six, um, I think those are great picks. Maybe those two guys are already off the board and they get a Jack Hilty. Um, you know, I think those would be great. I, you know, I'm really high on Tarafanko because I think his game just fits perfectly in the PLL. Um, and then, you know, you got a Tanner Cook as a, a guy that can play attack or midfield. Again, chaos are pretty set at the attack and midfield position, but um, a Team Canada guy that would definitely, you know, be able to step in and, and mesh well with this chaos offense. Um, so, you know, Coach Towers also has quite a few draft picks at his disposal in this draft. So we'll see kind of how he utilizes them as well. Moving on to the Chrome. Um, they're again, kind of pretty set. That's why I think they're in the position that they can trade down and maybe get some more draft picks. But then also if you're coach Sudan, you know, what value is there, is there really in trading down necessarily, um, you know, other than getting another player, if that player might not be able to make your rosters as well. So that's also another interesting thing with these limited roster spots, but I think, you know, maybe they go with another defender. They're pretty set, but you know, maybe they, they take a Jared Connors as well, or JT Giles Harris. I know coach Sudan has spoken highly of JT Giles Harris in the past. Um, and they were able to, to kind of, you know, they want to fortify this defense. Um, you know, obviously getting Joel white back at the LSM spot is, is huge for them, but um, I think they could add another guy. They'll get, uh, they'll get Tom Rigney too, who they drafted initially in the PLL and played in the MLL last year. So He'll definitely be a big addition, but again, military commitments come into hand with him as well. So I think they'll take another defender. Um, and, you know, again, I, I think a Mac O'Keefe would be great for them because right now I think one of the Chrome's biggest need is a deep threat. You know, there's guys that can certainly score from range, but they are in the lower end of the two point goals. So I think it wouldn't hurt to have maybe a Mac O'Keefe that, you know, run them from the midfield and just let them rip, um, you know, and you, you got guys, feeding him like Randy Stotts and Jordan Wolf. Um, so, you know, and then you got Justin Gutterding is also a shooter. So it's like th this offense is going to be just as good as it was in 2020. Um, and I think they're honestly the most complete team right now that they can stand to, um, you know, pick best player available. But 
um, you know, those are I, where I see their needs. Are you, do you agree? Or do you think they might go in a different direction? Yeah, no, I think they uh, definitely will probably go best player available. And I, I think the, we, we've talked about it already, but the utilization to uh, trade back or pick up another player to, to fit uh, a really strong need for this squad is going to be uh, something that coach Sudan will, will definitely uh, potentially look into. And I have to say, we'll, we'll talk about these in our, um, our pods going forward when we're previewing teams once rosters are closer to be complete, but they're one of the most exciting teams uh, that I'm looking forward to watch come next year with the additions that they added, um, like Randy and other players we've already talked about. So I'm really, really excited and really high on this Chrome squad going into next season. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily say like, I have a PLL team. I know I've kind of leaned a little archers over the two years, but, uh, Chrome, man, they were, they were, they were pulling me in a, a lot last year. I really wanted to see them go, go far. And they had a, you know, disappointing showing against the chaos. So, you know, I, I love the makeup of this team. I think they're, you know, I think they have one of the best locker rooms in the PLO and that's not to say that there's teams that don't have good locker rooms in the PLO, but um, you know, I just think they have a lot of fun. The men of Chrome are a very cohesive unit. And I, I think, you know, having their, their guy in Tim Sudan last year just did wonders for them. So Chrome improvement, um, Chrome improvement, man. Chrome improvement. I love it. Yes. Absolutely. And, and now let's talk about the Redwoods. We kind of already touched on a little bit. I mean, real need is just face off, you know, they could add, a, you know, maybe another defender or whatever, you know, maybe, you know, if Jack Kilty falls to them, probably not at, at where they're at, if they don't take him, um, you know, with that fourth pick, which we don't see them doing, but um, you know, I think they'll add, hopefully try to get TD. We could even see them take another two face off guys. Honestly, I think, you know, Gallagher and Arceri could also be an upgrade over Puskuljan. Um, so who knows, like maybe they go for TD and they decide let's get a, another guy, um, too. I think you're going to see a lot of teams, uh, want to, you know, have two solid face-off guys that, you know, can provide a change of pace. And again, with the rules, if you have a violation, you know, like that's a possession that you lose if you don't have a guy that you're confident in taking that face-off. So, you know, no, they don't want to waste any possessions here. So, you know, so that's kind of how we feel about the, the Redwoods that, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I don't know if you really have anything else to add, Adam, I think that's probably it, you know, in terms of the Redwoods, it's, you know, face off guy or bust. Uh, I'm sure they'll add, you know, a few depth positions as well in this draft, but that's kind of where they're leaning. Uh, and then it brings us to the water dogs that I think are one of the most interesting squads as well. Um, you know, I think if Sowers is available, they're taking him, but what are your thoughts on what the water dogs do potentially at number two and in the rest of the draft? Just kind of looking at their roster, I think having a facilitator at the X like Sowers would be a fantastic addition uh, to to their squad. You know, they added uh, a number of poles, right, in terms of Ben Randall and Liam Burns in the expansion draft. So uh, not sure uh, that that's the route they go at number two. I think it's going to be one of the the top three offensive guys uh, that we mentioned. If it's uh, if Tico's one, uh, Sowers or Bernhardt, uh, and vice versa, depending on who uh, is that first spot. But I think offense-wise uh, goes one-two in the draft. Yeah, and, and what do you think, too, in terms of goalie position? Um, do you think they take a goalie in one of these later rounds? You know, I don't think goalies are really going to be too hot of commodities in this draft, but there's obviously some talented seniors that are going to be available. So what do you think they do with the goalie position 
Yeah, and, it, and it's another interesting one to, to contemplate because you could argue that every other team other than the Water Dogs are completely set at the goalie position. You know, coming in uh, to the offseason, you could uh, talk about uh, the Chrome looking for uh, an heir apparent to John Galloway, and it looks like they did with Sean Scononi, right? A couple time uh, back-to-back MLL, MD, uh, MLL goalie of the year. So they did. Um, the Cannons got their guy, Nick Morocco, it looks like. So the Water Dogs are the one team, and heck, you know, Coach Copeland uh, might beg to differ, right? He has a guy that he coached in college and really uh, relied on last year in Charlie Cipriano. And then once he was injured, he picked Matt DeLuca high in the draft last year in the second round. Mm -hmm. So, um, and DeLuca played well uh, in the limited minutes he got at the latter parts of the bubble. So um, while a lot of fans out there may be contemplating what the dogs could do at the goalie position, I think Matt DeLuca has something to say about that. Now, with that being said, I think some teams are going to draft goalies, right? You need bodies in cage, especially during training camp. Um, you talk about how many quarterbacks are on rosters and whatnot uh, in the NFL during training camp and, and, and roster cuts and whatnot. Yeah, and, you know, I could see certainly the Water Dogs picking up a, a goalie in maybe one of the later rounds, uh, like an Owen McElroy out of Georgetown or Drake Porter, um, Mike Adler, you know, the, the guys that, that come to mind at the moment. Uh, but not just the Water Dogs, you know. I, I think uh, there's going to be some fun competition while those uh, maybe first-string spots are, are taken up at the moment. Uh, those backup positions are, are going to be uh, just as competitive when it comes to the goalie position this coming summer. You know, when we mentioned goalies as it relates to the Water Dogs, another team that was looking for a backup goalie was the Whip Snakes. They actually filled that void a, a little bit with Reed Junkin, who they picked up in the waiver wire. Doesn't mean they won't add another goalie, I think, in this draft. Um, you know, we could see Owen McElroy or Drake Porter or even Mike Adler going to them. You know, in a, I think it will be a later round, though. I think they're going to go best player available, which, you know, as we talk about, they're a team that doesn't really have necessarily any specific needs. Um, so they'll probably go best player available in this draft. Uh, I mean, where, where do you think they kind of go? They're sitting at seven now in this first round. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, they maybe might add another versatile midfielder or a D midi. Um, you know, if a Jared Connors or even a Ryan McNulty falls into their lap, that might be a good spot. You know, they added Alex Spring at LSM, but they could add another LSM, you know, provide relief. Um, you know, Jared Connors, I think we, you couldn't ask for a better duo and Jared Connors and Michael Earhart, if they're able to get him, I don't know if he'll be available to them at seven though. I think he'll probably go higher. Um, I don't know where, but um, you know, well, what do you think the, the whip snakes do? Yeah, man. If, if, if in one off season, they're able to add a guy like Chris Eslanian, somehow Brian Cole and Jared yeah. Connors falls to them. <laughs> I like, I, I will question the, the league itself right now just <laughs> joking jokes aside like if, if they have the ability to add uh a guy like jared connors that'd be an absolutely phenomenal pickup for them i i think like you said they go best player available i think they are able to fill um some holes in, in some finite places that just uh make them that much better for for that three-peat run so um i, I don't have too much to say about the availability in terms of who they could potentially pick up. But I think they go best player available when it comes to uh, filling some small holes that we might not even realize that uh, Coach Staggs is really looking to fill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think Connors or JT Dahl Harris will be there because I think, you know, you might see the Chrome or the Chaos take it sure. before he gets there. But, you know, Nick Grill is another Terp, another Maryland guy that might be, you know, somebody they pick up if they want to go defensive end. Uh, again, we talked about how they don't really have any holes so they could go offensive end as well and maybe get a, another deep threat to pair with Mike Chanichuk. 
Um, you know, imagine Mac O'Keefe on that offense. Again, it's like there's that much talent available in this college draft that one of those guys is going to fall to them at seven. So for Stags, it's almost like just wait and see who's available still and, and get the best player available. But that's kind of how we feel about, you know, the whip snakes again, maybe they go D mini route again. They have Charlie Hayes, they have Matt Abbott, you know, Matt Abbott's, you know, probably only got a couple more years. It wouldn't hurt for them to add another, you know, really young stud defensive mini as well. Um, you know, and maybe a Peter Durth or Ryan Tarafanko. So we'll, we'll definitely see. I mean, there's some players we didn't even mention though, like Jake Carraway, Jackson Morrill, Ryan Tierney, Ethan Walker. Like there's so much talent in this draft. I think I mentioned Connor Curse, but you know, maybe I didn't, if, if I didn't, he's definitely another guy that's, you know, given his long range shot is going to be getting some looks in this PLL draft. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot that I'm leaving off right now as well, but um, that's kind of how we feel about the college draft. I think it's again, again, going to go, you know, more best player available than need based, but you know, there's also some teams that have some pretty big needs right now and they're only that need away from being a contender. So, you know, be interesting to see how this draft shakes shapes up. Um, we can't even decide on who's going to be number one. So I don't know if we can even predict, you know, what's going to follow after that, but that's kind of wraps up our PLO draft discussion. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, we're really looking forward to this summer of pro lacrosse, both on the women's and men's side, uh, looking to get to some PLL tour stops. We'll be at least at the Philly and DC, if not, you know, hopefully at Homewood as well. Uh, we're still trying to figure out our schedules as well as in terms of that, but really excited about the upcoming PLL season. Um, and then to follow the NLL season in December too. So um, we won't be stopping the NLL discussions even during the summer. We'll definitely keep those going as well sure. uh, as more news comes out and free agency gets underway and all that stuff. So um, we have another college draft, not too far, just a couple months away from that as well in September, November timeframe. Um, between then is usually when they have the college draft for the NLO as well. So we'll still be talking, talking a lot of draft coverage this summer as well, but appreciate you guys tuning in. We appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to give us a five-star review. It really helps us, you know, continue to move up in the ratings. Um, and we hope you guys tune in next time to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducanon, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent.